Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 78. So then guys, this week I am tackling the second volume of the 2020 run of the main Star Wars comics. These are going to lead directly into the War of the Bounty Hunters prelude, which then obviously lead into the rest of the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover event. And if you haven't listened to that already, go back and listen to episode 60, which is where the War of the Bounty Hunters prelude starts. So when you finish this episode, go there. And then from there, it's like every fourth episode there, thereabouts. And I will be tackling the finale and probably the last full show of the year in December. I'm going to try and make sure I do all of the other comics before then. So I've got Bounty Hunters Volume 2, as well as the two volumes of the 2020 Darth Vader run, and then the finale of War of the Bounty Hunters. And that'll mean all the ongoing series that are not High Republic based will all be up to date at the end of the year. But just in case this is your first time with Star Wars Comics and Canon, welcome. Uh, If you're listening on YouTube, you can listen on any podcast apps on the feed of Comics in Motion. You can listen on Spotify, anywhere like that. And obviously, if you guys are listening on a podcast app on the feed of Comics in Motion, then you can go over to my YouTube channel as well to listen there too. And that is on the feed of Genuine Chit Chat. But if you type in Genuine Chit Chat and Star Wars, it will come up. So I'm going to be going through each of these comics, doing the bullet points of the plot and then talking about the connections to other content as well as some information and stuff around that. So that's what you can expect. And so with that in mind, let's get into the information about these comics. So I'm going to be tackling volume two, which is issues seven to 11, and I'm also going to be tackling issue number 12. Now, these cover two arcs. The first arc is the Will of Tarkin, and the second arc is Operation Starlight. Now, the reason I said issue 7 to 11 and also issue 12 is because, oddly enough, issue 12 is not included in the full second volume of Star Wars 2020 and is not included in the trade paperback either. I presume it's because it's basically just a flashback issue, so I'll give information about that at the end. Obviously, it's the last comic, so that works, but it's just like a flashback about Han on Hoth base and Leia just talking about it. So I wonder if it's going to be included in the fourth trade paperback because the third trade paperback is going to be of the War of the Bounty Hunters Star wars and so the fourth one i presume will do whatever arc is after that and i wonder if that's going to be where issue 12 is i don't know i'm not the publishers but i'm going to tell you information about it anyway so issue number seven came out in october 2020 issue number 12 came out in march 2021 and then the trade paperback collection excluding issue 12 was out april 2021 The writer for all of these was Charles Saul, the colour artist for all of these is Rachel Rosenberg, and then the artist for issues 7, 8 and 12 is Ramon Rosanas, and the artist for issues 9, 10 and 11 is Jan Bazaldua. And just to remind you guys, this is set after Empire Strikes Back, but before Return of the Jedi, I encourage you guys to go back and check out volume 1 of this if you haven't already, which was episode 73 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. And with that all in mind, let's get into the story. So, here is the crawl for issue 7. The heroic Rebel Alliance is scattered and on the run from the evil Galactic Empire after losing the Battle of Hoth. Princess Leia attempts to rally her friends before all hope is lost. The freedom of the galaxy is at stake. But their cunning new foe, Commander Zara, will stop at nothing to crush the rebellion once and for all. 
So as I said earlier, the first two issues of this, issues seven and eight, are the Will of Tarkin arc, uh, and then we'll move on to the Operation Starlight arc. But the trade paperback collection is just called Operation Starlight for issues seven to eleven. So issue 7 starts with the Rebels discussing the Empire tracking and interrupting their communications, and Leia says it's time to strike back. So this is basically from the last arc. It's confirmed that, as I just said, the Empire can intercept their messages, and then also they've found out how to decrypt them. So whenever messages are sent in wartime, and that includes within Star Wars wartime, you encrypt them so the enemy, if they intercept them, don't know what you're saying. And obviously the Empire's found a way to somehow understand this. So while the Rebellion have all split, because after the Battle of Hoth and the Rebellion have a contingency where they just, after a battle, they will split off into the different divisions and cells, just so if one of them gets found, you know, the entire Rebellion isn't destroyed. And they normally agree to meet up at certain rendezvous points, normally one or two divisions meeting at a time and then when it's safe the bigger divisions meet more and more and then eventually when it's all safe to do so they gather and talk and you know do what the rebels do but due to the empire being able to intercept them they are now in a sticky situation because if they try and contact someone else to even tell them that the empire knows how to get you then the empire will intercept that know the locations of the two rebels that are trying to communicate with each other and then put them both at risk so the rebellion are in quite a difficult situation but this issue focuses on Commander Zara primarily. Now, she was introduced in the previous volume that I spoke about and things, and she is commanding a ship called the Tarkin's Will. It is a Star Destroyer. It used to be called the Carrion Spike, which was Tarkin's own ship. It got damaged by a bit of the Death Star, and then they repaired the damage so that the ship is still functional, but they haven't cleaned up aesthetically, so it serves as a reminder in the Imperials' minds, the tragedy of the Death Star that obviously killed millions of people. So the Empire have intercepted a transmission between the 4th and the 7th Division. Now Zara wants to go after the 4th Division, because that's where Princess Leia is, but due to where they are in the galaxy, they are just nearer the 7th Division. So Zara is going to go and intercept the 7th, while another batch of Imperials who are nearby are going to go after the 4th. So for Zara, Leia is personal, and that's what one of the Imperial officers whispers to another one when Zara's out of earshot. It does a flashback to Eredu. And this is something I think I mispronounced this planet, but it's E-R-I-A-D-U. So it's Tarkin's homeworld. It is actually featured in the High Republic book, Light of the Jedi. They basically fight back against some of the Nile, and they're like a warrior people and things, and a part of their system gets quite heavily damaged due to the Nile, but I'm not going to get into that here. If you want to find out about that, either check out my book review on Light of the Jedi or read the book itself. So Radu is in the Outer Rim, and as I said, it's Tarkin's homeworld. Tarkin's forename is Will Huff Tarkin. I've done many times in previous episodes of Star Wars Comics and Canon, given plenty of bio information on Tarkin. But if you want specifics, you can check out episode 43 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, where I tackle the Age of Rebellion Villains comics, which are a batch of one-shot comics about Boba Fett, Vader, Jabba, Tarkin, there's a few of them, and in those I give bio-information on the individual characters. So if you want to know Tarkin's age and loads of other information about him and hear a story about him, check out episode 43. So on Eredu, Tarkin chooses three Imperial officers to try and become his new protege. He says that they have no family, no ties to anyone else, and they have the highest mark on the Imperial exams, but he wants to test them on something that the Imperial exams cannot show, which is their worth. He wants them to kill a Veermok. So Veermoks are in the canon, and they are also in Legends, so... In the canon, they are in the James Lucino book called Tarkin. Their also first appearance, so we can see them, was in the Adventures in Wild Space comic, and it's the issue called The Nest. That's written by Kevin Scott. That's part of the Star Wars Adventures line, which is made by IDW Publishing, so you won't be able to find it on Marvel Unlimited if that's where you read a lot of these things. 
and Veermarks are also mentioned in the Queen's Shadow book by E.K. Johnston. They are native to Naboo, but they are also found on Eredu, which is named as one of Naboo's neighbours, so it's just a planet that's really nearby. Now in Legends, it was first in the Knights of the Old Republic game, but it was in the second one, Sith Lords. It is also in the other James Lucino book, which is in Legends, which is Darth Plagueis. And the ones that are found on Eredu are a slight subspecies. The actual Veermox themselves are approximately twice the size of a normal human. They are primates and they are around 10 times stronger than a normal human. So they are quite fearsome. So Tarkin wants them to hunt this fearsome creature. This one is actually an albino, and so they're, they're white. Normally, I believe they have quite good camouflage and things, but this one should have been killed quite early because, you know, it was white in like a forest area. But because of it getting attacked by so many things, it has actually become the most fearsome predator on the Carrion Plateau, which is where they are. Tarkin gives the three of them 12 hours to find the head, and that's the only way that they'll be able to get off the planet, is if one of them brings him the head of this Veermok. So it goes tonight, and then today again, and then it shows Zara appears at the shuttle by herself and brings the head to Tarkin. It's confirmed that her parents were killed by terrorists, which later on gets confirmed to be rebels, because obviously the Empire calls the rebels terrorists. And Tarkin asks where the other two have gone, and she basically says that they were unworthy. It then has a few pages of montages with Zara with Tarkin, you know, being trained up and things. She's at certain meetings with him. She's at one with Inspector Krennic, which is Orson Krennic from Rogue One. He's the guy who's played by Ben Mendelsohn, I think his name is. Uh, he's basically the main baddie in Rogue One who develops the Death Star. And she's also seen at other meetings, including ones with Vader and other Imperial officers. Tarkin then gives Zara a task to go get the head of someone called Burnium Rowe. And Burnium Rowe is using imagery and rhetoric from the Nile. Now, the Nile are the main antagonist of the High Republic era to the Jedi, and the eye of the Nile, so the leader of them, is actually called Markion Row. So I assume this guy is called Burnium Row as a nod to the Nile. Whether or not that's his real name or what, I don't know. But as the Nile are spreaders of chaos, the Empire wants to stomp out any mention of them where possible. Um, so if someone's using their imagery and rhetoric, they are an enemy of the Empire. He is on the planet Ikruk. Now, Ikruk is featured in the book Resistance Reborn and is also in a couple of Poe Dameron comics, I think 30 and 31. And there's actually a character who is an Ikrakian in the Poe Dameron comics as well. But once again, in the High Republic, there is a 300-year-old Jedi called Porter Engel, who is one of my favorite Jedi at the moment. He appears in Light of the Jedi as well as The Rising Storm, but he's primarily in Light of the Jedi. And yeah, he's an Ikrakian as well. So anyway, Tarkin gives Zara his ship, the Carrion Spike, to go and find this Burnium Row gentleman. Zara uses some probe droids and connects them with this network, and it makes them incredibly good at scouring the planet and things. Manages to find Burnium Row, and she's in a cruiser, and decides to bombard it. Blows up the entire base of the ship, and then goes back to Tarkin. Tarkin then scorns Zara, because he said, well, where's his head? And she's like, I thought you meant that, like metaphorically speaking i didn't think you literally wanted his head but he i killed him don't worry about it he's gone and tarkin's like oh did you and then puts on a broadcast from i think it's called the shadow web so you know dark web shadow web the internet but for baddies i suppose in the star wars universe and it shows that zara actually only killed a decoy and now bernie and roe is broadcasting about the empire and that their failure and trying to rally people against the empire so tarkin says you did even worse than if you would just left him alone Tarkin then just leaves her to her thoughts, and then later on, Zara reports for her next mission. She goes to speak to Tarkin, and someone stops her and tells her that she is being reassigned. So, she, in retaliation, decides to go and steal an Imperial shuttle from the shipyard on the Death Star. 
She then starts to record a message for Tarkin, flies away from the Death Star, and then before she can get too far away, the Death Star then explodes, damages her ship, causes her a little bit of damage, but obviously she survived, and then it cuts back to now. It shows that the Imperials have got the 7th Division, however that other group of Imperials did not get the 4th Division, they eluded them. Then, the Rebels appear with something called the Pincer Maneuver, so one obviously are being attacked by the Star Destroyers, and then the other ones are from behind, so the Star Destroyers' rear engines and that sort of thing are open. And so Zara says she's going to prep her shuttle to lead a boarding party. And that is where issue 7 ends. So on to issue number 8. It starts off on Coruscant and it says it's just after the Battle of Hoth. So it would be before basically any of these Star Wars comics in this run thus far. And it's got Vader talking to Palpatine or the Emperor. Palpatine says that without Tarkin or Thrawn that Vader needs to help pursue the rebels. He needs to just utilise some of the strategies he knows and stop pursuing Luke Skywalker. But Vader says that there is actually another who could help. And then it cuts to Kessel. So Kessel obviously is from Solo, a Star Wars story. That's where Han Solo does the famous Kessel run. Uh, but the Spice Mines of Kessel, they're run by the Pikes. But I think the Empire have got a hold on them because the coaxium that's there, which is the hyperspace fuel, is very important to the Empire. And the Empire often does make deals with crime syndicates, you know, Darth Vader did it with Jabba in the 2015 Darth Vader comics, and it's basically just so the Empire still has control of both the underworld and the entire galaxy, rather than trying to stomp out every single crime syndicate. They make deals with them so they can kind of control them and things, and obviously the Empire then gets access to their resources. So anyway, on Kessel in a mining facility, you've got Zara who is sat there just kind of staring out into the distance, and an officer comes up behind her and says, we've got a transmission for you. And she's like, okay, who is it? And he's like, oh, it's Vader. And she's like, what? And so she jumps up, gets her outfit on, and then stands in front of a hollow projector. So they have a back and forth, and I thought it'd be quite a good time to read this, because I like to read, you know, normally one exchange per episode, maybe two. And uh, I just think it's a good conversation between Vader and Zara. So starts with Vader. You are Ellie and Zara. You worked closely with Governor Tarkin before he perished on the Death Star. He spoke of you on occasion. It is my understanding he gave you personal instruction in his methods, his strategies, tactics. And Zara says, Yes, Lord Vader. He was a great teacher, a mentor to me. Then why did he place a note on your file indicating you were to be given non-essential duties until further notice? I failed him, Lord Vader. He gave me an assignment I did not complete to his satisfaction, and it is my belief that he intended this period of my career to serve as an object lesson, and had he lived, I would have received an opportunity to redeem myself in his eyes. Yes, that sounds like Tarkin. He once taught me something as well, on the world called Chandler's Folly. I found his lessons... instructive. You will have the opportunity for redemption denied to you by the rebels. I am placing you in charge of the effort to hunt down the remnants of the rebel fleet you will be given all the necessary resources. Lord Vader, I am honoured. I will not fail you. See that you do not. This assignment does not solely come from me. The Emperor knows your name. This is either your greatest opportunity or the worst moment in your life. Time will tell. And that cuts back to now, which is when that battle was happening with the pincer manoeuvre between the two rebel divisions and Tarkin's will, the ship, and Zara, etc. Now just a quick mention here, what Vader is referring to is actually from, unsurprisingly, Charles Saul's run of Darth Vader comics. Obviously Charles Saul is the writer and he likes to make little nods to his other content, which I very much appreciate. So if you want to read that, it's a really, really cool issue. And it's one of those ones that I think really benefits from you guys actually reading it. So it's issue number 18 of the second run of Darth Vader comics, released in 2017, as I said, written by Charles Saul. 
But if you don't want to read it, but you want to hear all about it, you can check out episode 70 of Styles Comics and Canon, where I talk about the volume of Vader comics from issues 13 to 18 and the Darth Vader annual, also which gives some insight into Vader and how he found out about the Death Star and a bit more information about that. So yeah, I really recommend you guys pick up issue 18 of the Darth Vader run from 2017. It is really, really cool. So anyway, now Zara is leading the boarding party and they head over to one of the rebel ships. They blow the airlock and then start just shooting, killing any of the rebels that were nearby. While this is happening, Leia is talking to Commander Grek after she talks to Luke for a little bit and then some alarm sound and it's confirmed there is some sort of reactor issue. She tells Luke just to go ahead, he's got a situation here and he's flying his X-Wing in this battle. Zara then talks over the comms of the whole of this rebel ship. She says that the reactor will blow in a few minutes if Leia does not go there and meet her. Zara says as soon as Leia shows up, she'll reactivate the reactor and then everything will be fine, the ship won't blow up as soon as Leia is there. So... Leia grabs the blaster from Grek and then heads down for a conversation with Zara. Meanwhile, Luke notices that one of the rebel cruisers is being pinned down by some TIE fighters and things, and therefore they can't get any of their fighters out to defend the ship. So Luke, Shara Bay, who's flying an A-Wing, and the Millennium Falcon, flown by Lando and Chewie, go to attack. Now, if you remember, Shara Bay is actually Poe Dameron's mum. I think Poe at this time is like two years old or so. But anyway, they attack the fighters that are blocking the ship. They manage to get the ships away and then the cruiser can release their fighters. So the fighters fly out and who's among them? Wedge Antilles, one of the coolest characters in Star Wars. So he flies out and then the tide of the battle starts to turn because the rebels' fighters are now everywhere. Meanwhile, Leia is now in the engine room. A blaster box shoots past her and hits the panel and then the door behind her closes. Zara says that all Leia needs to do is walk through the engine room to go to the other side where the exit is and she'll be free to go. Zara also confirms that she has holstered her blaster, so she isn't going to shoot Leia. So Zara then talks, she does this big monologue thing. Um, if you want to read it, you know, check out the comic itself. I'm not going to read it here, but she just talks about her parents and Tarkin's mentorship and that sort of thing. Leia tries to shoot where like the silhouette of Zara is and then gets her arm cut by some sort of blade and then she tries to shoot once again and then her hand is cut by this blade once again and she drops her blaster. It shows that Zara is the one who's slicing up Leia and is causing her to feel a bit of worry and things. And then before Zara can do anything else, she hears a comm from a fellow Imperial officer saying that they are under quite heavy attack and it seems like the best option would be for the ship to retreat. Zara says to go ahead, she'll be there soon. Zara tells Leia that she'll be back and they'll talk again at some point and she turns around and a door opens and Luke is there with his yellow lightsaber. Zara says to Luke that she could kill him right here and right now and he's like you think so and she's like yes and she throws the blade right at his head he manages to avoid it and it hits the wall behind him but she says that she's been ordered not to because Darth Vader has plans for him. Obviously after Luke had a blade thrown at his face and he avoided it she used the opportunity to somersault over him and then run away. She shoots at a window on the rebellion ship which smashes and then some rebels get sucked out. Her mask goes up just before doing this and she falls into space. She then uses a jetpack that she's got and flies to her star destroyer. As soon as she gets to the star destroyer she comms to the imperial officer on the bridge and then they activate hyperspace and disappear. And then the last few panels of this comic show that Leia has been quite heavily bothered by the sheer amount of hate that Zara had for her and obviously how close she could get and the physical wounds that she caused to her. And then it shows Zara on Tarkin's will feeling good, feeling proud, because she managed to hurt Leia not only physically but also her hope. She says that Leia is a symbol and that this is just the beginning, basically saying that she's trying to get into Leia's head and if she can tear down Leia, that will tear down the fabric of the rebellion from the inside. 
So that's where comic number eight ends. Now, before I go on to comic number nine, I just want to say that Zara is actually currently in Tarkin's old office on obviously his old ship. Now, there's quite a few cool things there on the wall. It's worth looking at. But a couple of ones to note is that there's a head of the Veermok, so the white one that obviously Zara killed in that flashback in the previous issue. There's also the head of a Tauntaun, which is those creatures that were being ridden by the rebels on the Battle of Hoth in Empire Strikes Back. And there's a few other heads of things I didn't fully recognize. There's like an axe on the wall, but there's also a blade. Now the blade has got some wrapping on and that is a throwback to what I mentioned slightly earlier, the Age of Rebellion villains one-shot comics. The one with Tarkin in shows that he had this blade since his childhood and things. I think he used it for his first kill when he was taken out there by his family to do a hunt, much like he showed Zara and the other two officers to do. Because as I said, people of Iradu are like warrior people and Tarkin is quite the warrior. You don't get to see it in A New Hope usually, but if you read the, the book Tarkin by James Asino, which is canon, and some of the other Tarkin content, you will see that. And obviously his strategies and his tactics are fantastic. He's in Star Wars Rebels quite a bit as well, and obviously he's in Bad Batch too, so you get to see how cutthroat he is. But yeah, I just thought that Blade was cool just to add in there because you get to see that in other content as well. Anyway, with that in mind, let's move on to issue number nine, which is the first issue of the Operation Starlight arc. So issue nine starts with the rebels trying to decide on a new plan. 3PO says that there's a language called Trawak, which is a lost language and no one in the galaxy seems to speak it. In fact, the species that used to speak it have been long extinct. So the rebels ask, well, how do you know it then? 3PO and he's like, oh, well, I do not know it. In fact, there's only one place that we can guarantee has it. And it's actually in the mind of a very old protocol droid who is in a museum. So it cuts to this museum and it's the Imperial Museum. It was formerly the Galactic Museum, but it is on Coruscant. Now Luke wants to go, but Leia says, no, you're too much of a high value target to go on Coruscant. Same as myself. So we're going to send the Pathfinders. But showing in this museum, it shows there's a curator guy. He's got like something that looks like a monocle, but it's like a cybernetic left side of his head, kind of. And he's sat on this moving chair, which is actually a Mechno throne. And Mechno thrones have actually appeared in the canon before. They first appeared in Star Wars The Phantom Menace. I believe it's Newt Gunray is actually sat on one of them moving when he takes over Naboo Castle. He is the Nemoidian part of the Trade Federation who sorts out the blockade and basically messes with Padme Amidala, wants to get her executed, etc. So you get to see it primarily in there, and then it's also in one episode of The Clone Wars from Series 2. It's called Senate Spy, and it's the fourth episode, and then you also can see it in some Afro comics too. But yeah, this curator guy, he's an old, overweight white guy, and he's been quite rude to a lot of the people there, and then he gets given some stuff from Kashyyyk. He basically says, nope, none of it's worth being put on display because of those lowly creatures, but there's one thing he thinks is quite pretty and keeps it for his own personal collection, so clearly he's a bigot as well. And it then shows that the protocol droid is actually in his private collection in a glass box. So it cuts back to the rebels and it shows. So the Pathfinders are going to go and also Lando has been tasked with flying them there in the Falcon because apparently it's a slightly less well-known vessel at this point. So Lando manages to get the Pathfinders there undetected and when they're about to go to the museum, they say to Lando, come on, we need to get Lobot. And Lando's like, what are you talking about? Lobot staying with me. And they're like, no, he has to help us. He needs to use the terminal in there so he can tell us where this droid is so that we can go find it. Lando's pretty annoyed about this, but he just says, fine, I'll go along with it. And so they get to the museum. There's some guards and things around and so they need a distraction. So they get the character Needle to do a distraction. 
So Needle is part of the Pathfinders. He is a Quermian. Uh, the most famous Quermian, to my knowledge, is Yariel Poof. You see him in the Phantom Menace in the Jedi Council chair. I believe he's in the High Republic a little bit as well, um, but he's not in the following films because Quermians look fairly similar to Kaminoans and George Lucas didn't want people to get confused. So it's basically tall, long-necked creatures. However, Quermians have two hearts, one in their head, one in their chest. They also have two sets of arms, so they have four arms, and as I said, they can live for hundreds of years. But Needle causes a distraction because there's a Quermian relic that he sees, and so he calls the big fuss and says, you know, starts yelling, grabbing the relic, saying that this is mine, it belongs to my people, I can't believe it's here, sort of things. Some guards come up and try and get him away, but he's refusing, and so they eventually have to call the curator to come down and sort him out. So while this happens, the other Pathfinders are fighting some guards seemingly quietly in front of the curator's own private collection. They manage to beat them and sneak in, but then they're still looking for stuff and they tell Needle that they need more time. So Needle keeps becoming worse and worse and antagonizing the curator and things, and they manage to grab him and the curator says that the punishment for something like this is death because he has his own jurisdiction within the walls of the museum so he can do whatever he wants. So it cuts back to the rebels who've managed to get the, it's called a talker droid, but it's also nicknamed a talky droid. And some of my notes I wrote talker and other notes I wrote talky. So if you're confused, it's both the same thing. But they got this talker droid and it turns out that its memory and its cognitive functions won't work. And 3PO isn't really sure what they do next. And Kez is pretty annoyed about this because he said that Needle died to get the talker droid to them. So what do we do now? And that's where that comic ends. Now that is, you know, as I always say, this is the, very much the bullet point version of this, like very much in the note form version. This is quite a lot of action scenes in it. And when Needle is arguing with the curator and stuff, that lasts several pages and things. Good dialogue. It's worth a read, but there's not really much else to add here. So let's move on to the next issue, which has a lot more information in it. So the next issue is the fourth of these six issues that make up this arc and is issue number 10 of the 2020 Star Wars run. So it starts off with 3PO trying to fix this talker bot. Now he manages to fix it somewhat and it kicks 3PO out of the way, throws R2-D2 out of the way as well, but its voice doesn't work. So 3PO has fixed its motor functions, but it still can't communicate with anyone. They're trying to work out what to do and Lobot walks into the room, puts his arm out and then his implant starts to glow and then the droid can magically talk. It's confirmed that what seems to have happened is Lobot has used his implant to align some of the circuitry within the talky droid, which came loose, which has allowed him to now speak. So 3PO says to this droid, cool, well, let us download this language thing and we'll be on our way. And the droid's like, no, the only reason you turned me back on was because of this language I've got inside of me. So you cannot download it. I will not let you because then I'll just be useless to you. So Lando then strolls in and offers him a job of translating. So he says, well, if you translate for us, then you get to stay on. We get what we need. Everyone's happy. And the droid agrees to this. Lando then talks to Lobot and asks if he's going to be okay with doing this, because obviously it takes up a degree of effort from Lobot to allow this droid to talk. Lando looks at Lobot and then confirms to the guys that he's good with it. And Kez goes, he didn't say a word. How would you know about that? And then I'm going to read out Lando's dialogue here because it gives a really good insight into how Lando feels about Lobot. Now, I will say here, if you want even more backstory on Lando and Lobot in the canon, make sure you check out episode 18 of Star Wars Comics and Canon because there I tackle the five-issue miniseries called Lando, which Charles Saul also wrote. 
It goes into more detail of Lando and Lobot's relationship and also shows the mission that Lobot went on that actually made him lose his speech completely. So either pick up the comic yourself or listen to Star Wars Comics and Canon or do both and then you'll get all of the connections there. And also if you want even more Lando information in the canon, there's the book Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older, but also the Lando Double or Nothing miniseries, which I tackled in episode 37 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, which was when younger Lando, so Donald Glover's Lando, uh, the events before Solo when he was with L337, how the Millennium Falcon got locked up in the shipyard, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, check those out. But anyway, I'm going to read what Lando has to say about Lobot, just in case you guys haven't checked out those episodes and want a little bit of insight. Lobot wasn't always like this. He got these implants from the Empire. They were using him for battle calculations. But he broke free of that, and he and I worked together for a good long while. Had some wild times, pulled off some amazing jobs. But we got in over our heads on this one heist, and he, well... He gave up most of his mind so I could get away clean. Now he's mostly a machine in there. I've been trying to find a way to reverse it ever since. No luck. But he took care of me, so I take care of him. I've known him for so long I can read him like a book. He's on board with this, but he's still a person and he's my friend. If something goes wrong, you'll have Lando Carizian to answer to. And Leia says, thank you, Lando. And he says, don't thank me, thank Lobot, and walks out. Lando then receives a comm from Bib Fortuna, who is the Twi'lek, which is the right-hand man of Jabba the Hutt. Bib says they need some information, as Lando promised back in the previous arc. Lando mentions that the Rebellion has some new rebel codes, and Bib says, yeah, if you can get that information to us, then that will satisfy Jabba. So Lando says that he needs some time to think about this before he sends it across. Meanwhile, Leia calls for troops for Starlight Squadron to go and find the rebel divisions and then deliver some astromechs to each of the divisions with the Trawak code on it, as well as other information and stuff. Because obviously they can't send it over communications and things because if the Empire intercepts it, you know, etc, etc. So they have to basically do it physically. Now the pilots in Starlight Squadron, there's a few of them, there's a couple of familiar faces and some not so familiar faces, but I'm going to read them out to you. There are six of them and let's get into them. So we've got the star, we've got Wedge Antilles, who pilots an X-Wing. You should all know Wedge because he's in the original trilogy and any fans of Legend stuff, he's in the Rogue Squadron books, the Rogue Squadron game, the Rogue Squadron comics as well. And he is arguably one of the most talented pilots in the galaxy because not only is he a really great pilot, but he doesn't seem to have any force ability. So he's like Luke, but he's an incredible strategist. He's a great guy. And, you know, he's even in the Rise of Skywalker. So that's lots of fun. I'm hoping that in the Rogue Squadron movie that's coming out by Patty Jenkins, which I think has recently been delayed. But when that comes out, Rogue Squadron is the name of Wedge's squad. So hopefully it'll be him involved in it in some way. But we'll see. I think the actor who plays him, Dennis Lawson, is kind is getting old. But hopefully he's not too old because I want to see him reprise his role as Wedge for a little bit more than one line of dialogue in Rise of Skywalker. Anyway, that was Wedge. Then we move on to Freighter Smith. Uh, this is a female Twi'lek and she pilots next wing and there's not much else information about her. Next up, we have Lulo Lampar. So that is L apostrophe U-L-O and then L apostrophe A-M-P-A-R. He is a Duros, which is a species that looks like a stereotypical alien. So they don't have a nose. They have quite big eyes. They have a bold head. Their skin is sort of grayish or bluish. And there's a famous Duros called Shriv Sergav. Now you'd know him from the Star Wars Battlefront 2 campaign mode, which is canon. So he plays a pretty big role in that. And then he's also in the Resistance Reborn book as well, uh, which is the sort of prequel-ish book to the Rise of Skywalker. It's kind of the, the book between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. 
And then the other most famous Duros is someone who doesn't look quite the same because he's had some sort of modifications, but it is Cad Bane, who is a very notorious bounty hunter from the era of the Clone Wars. He is in the Clone Wars series, that's where he made his debut, and he did pop up in the Bad Batch as well. Anyway, back to Lulo specifically, he pilots an A-Wing, and he is in the Shattered Empire comics, which I tackled, I think, on episode 4 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, really early on, and they take place just after Return of the Jedi. He's also in the Poe Dameron comics, which I've yet to tackle, but they are also written by Charles Saul. I think he's, he's in quite a few of them, because he's basically Poe's like adoptive uncle, so he's a very good friend of Kez Dameron, and mild spoiler alert, that Poe Dameron's mum dies before he reaches adult and therefore obviously cares with his friend Lulo kind of help raise Poe a bit more so that's a very very brief uh, explanation of Lulo's relationship to Poe but I'll get into all that stuff when I tackle the Poe Dameron comics likely to be early next year so three more people here there is Shara Bay who is Poe Dameron's mum she flies an A-wing there is Yvonne Verlaine, and she flies a Y-Wing. Interestingly, she is retconned into A New Hope. So the reason for that is, in essence, the Legends pilot was someone called Kayan Farlander, and in the movie, the Y-Wing pilot is never actually named at the Battle of Yavin, and so they decide in the Princess Leia comics, which I tackled in episode 14 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, it gives a bit more detail about Yvonne Verlaine so that's kind of where you'd know her character from primarily uh, but she is also briefly in the aftermath book Life Debt which is the second of the trilogy by Chuck Wendig so she pops up every now and then and then the last character is Mart Matin and Mart Matin is actually in Star Wars Rebels he flies an X-Wing he is quite young in Star Wars Rebels and the way you'd know who he is is that he's introduced into it when he's in this squadron of sort of young rebels in a sense they're quite rebellious and he has an uncle who is one of the main leaders of the rebellion at the time but that's all the information i'm going to go into here because if you want to know more about that go watch star wars rebels because it's phenomenal even if you've never watched clone wars go watch it right now pause the podcast go even if you're driving obviously i am joking please don't do that <laughs> Star Wars Comics and Canon does not take any responsibility for you guys doing anything silly while driving if I tell you to. Uh, anyway, silliness aside. So that's basically these six pilots that make up Starlight Squadron. Obviously, they fly different ships and they all have different talents and whatnot. And a couple of them we know definitely survive until Return of the Jedi and beyond, including my boy Wedge. But uh, yeah, let's get back into the story. So the pilot meeting ends and Kez and Shara kiss each other goodbye. Then Starlight Squadron goes off to Nifalucha. Now, to clarify, Kez is part of the Pathfinders, and Shara Bay, although is kind of like an associate of them, Shara Bay is much more of a pilot, while Kez is much more of sort of a spy, ground-level sort of guy. So they often go on missions together, with Shara giving air or space support while Kez is on the ground. But anyway, Felucia. So Felucia is a planet which is prominent in the prequels. So it's in several episodes of the Clone Wars. Uh, it's in the Outer Rim. And it's mentioned in quite a few different places here and there. It's primarily spoken about, less so than actually shown in canon media. But the place you guys will probably know about it is the now Legends Star Wars Battlefront 2 game. So I'm talking about the one back in the 
original Xbox and PlayStation 2 days, not the new one with the PS4 and the Xbox One. So the old one, there's the Planet Felucia, and I think there's lots of Acclays on that as well, which are the big giant praying mantis-y things that Obi-Wan fights in the Geonosis arena in Attack of the Clones. Um, I think that's the map that has them on there. But for guys who haven't played video games, you'll still have seen Felucia, even if you haven't seen the Clone Wars, because in the Order 66 montage in Revenge of the Sith, when you see the blue-skinned Twi'lek, Ayla Sakira, when she gets killed, that is on Felucia. So anyway... Star Squadron are near Felucia and they see lots of wreckage of rebel ships because obviously they've gone to where the division was last known and clearly the Empire got there first. And while they're kind of scanning the area, a bunch of probe droids appear. Now, probe droids, they're in Empire Strikes Back. I've spoken about them quite a lot. I kind of describe them as angry, evil, mechanical jellyfish. <laughs> That's how they kind of look. But at the start of Empire Strikes Back, one lands on Hoth and then Han and Chewie shoot it and then it self-destructs and that's how it tells the Empire about the rebel base and stuff. But yeah, these probe droids seem to attack, and then the rebel bases communicating with Starlight Squadron lose contact. And then just for a brief panel or two, while the commotion is going on, this talker droid actually looks at Lobot and says, hmm, I wonder if this would work. And then Lobot kind of goes, huh, what? How am I speaking? What? And then stops immediately and then goes back to deadpan. And it shows that the talker droid can actually do to Lobot what Lobot can do to the talker droid, which is in layman's terms, basically rewire circuits to allow them to talk, which is quite a little interesting part there. Anyway, back to Starlight Squadron. So these probe droids, they're starting to attack the astromechs, and if the probe droids manage to drill into the astromechs and take away the data, then everything the rebels have done will be for nothing. So Wedge says, right, we need to eject our droids, self-destruct them, and then the Empire won't get it. We'll be stranded here, but we will save the rebellion. So they all do that, and then once the astromechs get self-destructed, then a Star Destroyer appears. Then back at Rebel Command, it shows that Lobot is going to die in a few hours if he doesn't have a break, because he is allowing this talker droid to speak, but is taking a lot of energy out of him and is causing a lot of problems. Lando is quite angry about this. He's trying to stop them, wants them to have a break just so Lobot can, you know, not die. And Kez then pulls out a blaster and aims at Lando and says, look, my wife is in danger. I can't let you do this. I can't let you throw everything away for one person. And that is where issue number 10 ends. So on to issue number 11, the penultimate issue. Lando is still talking to Kez and Leia saying, look, Lobot is dying. I I can't let you do this. It's not fair. Leia quietly says something to 3PO and then tells them loudly to continue with the transmissions regardless of Lobot. Meanwhile, Starlight Squadron are trying to avoid these TIE fighters that are attacking them and they are seemingly being herded by the Star Destroyer that's near them, which is shown to be the Tarkin's will. So Commander Zara is on the ship and she activates a tractor beam. So the ships of Starlight Squadron get caught in this tractor beam and then Wedge says that we've got a tactic for this that we've thought about in training, but we'll have to see if it works. Then back to Rebel Command, Lando is getting more and more angry at the fact that they just won't listen to him and that Lobot is nearing death, so he then punches Kez in the face, so Leia gets him escorted out. It is then shortly after that confirmed that 3PO has managed to learn the language from basically reading those transmissions that the talker droid was giving to him and then he was passing on to the Rebel fleet, because 3PO was seeing the translations and things, the sort of interim, he has managed to learn the language of Troak himself and therefore he can now send the transmissions without Lobot nearly dying and without this ancient talkie droid being the only thing that can allow them to do that. So 3PO turns off the talkie droid. Lobot then collapses, so Leia says to get Lobot some medical attention immediately, get Lando out of lockup, and then put the talkie droid into storage. 
Back to Starlight. I keep almost saying Starlight Beacon because that's what they're named after, a Starlight Beacon from the High Republic, but still. Uh, Starlight Squadron, uh, they are using the tactic that Wedge said. So they're basically trying to aim away from the Star Destroyer, putting their engines on full blast, still being slowly pulled into the tractor beam, and then they immediately flip their ships so they're facing the tractor beam and then kind of ride the tractor beam. They go really, really fast at the Star Destroyer, and then as the Star Destroyer takes their shields off so that the ships can be pulled into the hangar, in that moment that they do that, the ships then open fire with proton torpedoes and stuff, start shooting the hangar of the Star Destroyer, destroying all the TIE fighters that are within there, and just causing a bit of havoc for the Empire. A couple of the ships then land and grab some of the Imperial Astromechs so they can, you know, get them back on their ships and bail. Shara is taking a few moments longer than the rest of them because she's trying to take out some Imperial information to take back to Rebel base. And then before she can get back to her A-Wing, it blows up. So she tells the whole squad to just leave without her, to go back to Rebel base and do what they can. Then back at Rebel Command, Lando is talking to Lobot in the medical bay. He says that the Rebellion won't look out for them, so he contacts Bib Fortuna. He confirms to Bib that he can't translate the Rebel code for them, but he can get Jabba the talkie droid for them. He just needs a bit of time. And then this comic ends with Starlight Squadron communicating to the Rebels. It is confirmed that they have made their way out and they're on their way, which fills them all with glee, but they confirm that they don't have Shara Bay there, which obviously makes Kez very sad. And Leia says, well, we've got what we need. We've got everything here. We will no longer be on the run. It's time that we go on the hunt so we can find Shara Bay. So that's issue 11 over. Let's move on to the final issue, which is issue number 12. Now it is, oddly enough, this is still part of the same Operation Starlight arc. The first page where the crawl is says part four of Operation Starlight. But in the trade paperback collection that was released in April 2021, issue 12 isn't in there. Um, I said this slightly further on at the start. It's quite a flashbacky issue. So it really just gives information about Shara Bay and Kez's relationship, as well as a cool little story about Han and Leia. But Aside from that, it, it doesn't really push the story on very much, but I am still a little bit confused why it's not included in the trade paperback. I suspect maybe it will get included in either a random future one. It's not included in the War of the Bounty Hunters trade paperback, which is including the Star Wars comics, the five that are involved with the War of the Bounty Hunters stuff, because I have checked that. It That only has issues 13 to 18, so potentially volume 4, which I think is going to be called Crimson Rain, maybe it will be at the start of that in the trade paperback because I know in when they release trade paperbacks they'll sometimes just have like issues out of order if it doesn't really matter what order they're in or maybe they just completely miss this one and that's that and <laughs> maybe people will have to wait for the omnibus to get a collection edition but fear not my friends I'm going to be going into it here so issue number 12 so it starts on the Redemption, which is actually a ship seen in Empire Strikes Back. It's the ship that Luke goes back to and gets his Mechno hand sorted out. So when he gets his replacement hand after getting it cut off by Vader. And the ship is actually in the Battle of Endor as well in Return of the Jedi. So the ship itself is a EF-76 Nebulon B escort frigate. Now it's a capital ship, but it also is their primary medical frigate. So as you know, the best technology on there for the rebellion generally. And as well as being at the Battle of Endor and in Empire Strikes Back, it also survived the Battle of Endor, which is nice. And it is also in a couple of other books as well. It's in Lost Stars by Claudia Gray, and it is also in Heir to the Jedi as well. When Heir to the Jedi, I think, is the first canon book from my recollection, or it was just released just after the canon was reset and doesn't seem to contradict things, so they <laughs> let it be in the canon. But I have yet to read that one. But uh, yeah, that's the redemption for you. So Kez is waiting on the redemption for communication from Starlight Squadron because they still haven't come back yet. 
Meanwhile, Leia is thinking about Han and then talks to Kez, who confirms that he records stuff for Poe. So Poe at the moment is like, as I said, one or two years old, I think. And Kez can't send anything out to Poe because that would give away the rebel's position. So he just keeps recording things, talking about Shara Bay and lots of other things, you know, just in case she doesn't come back or anything. And so Kez then tells a story about how he met Shara Bay. He met her on a planet called Galator 3, which I can't find record of elsewhere. It's basically got a casino on it, and he went there for betting. One of his friends was getting married, so they went there for like a party. And with the last of credits that he had after a day of gambling, he bets on a race. Now, he chooses one of the pilots in the race because he likes their name, and it turns out to be Shara Bay. He watches the race. It's quite intense. There's like a story behind it. I'm not going to delve into it, but if you want to specifically find out the details of Shara Bay's race, then check this comic out. But she wins, unsurprisingly. After the race, Kez goes down and thanks Shara because obviously he bet on her and made some money and she gets out. They seem to hit it off and she asks him to buy her a drink with those winnings. Now that was seven years prior, which was approximately four years before the Battle of Yavin. So that's around the time that Star Wars Rebels kind of starts there, thereabouts, maybe series one or two. So that's when they met, which is quite cool. And then Kez says to Leia that the Rebellion knows about Leia and Han's sort of entanglement because people were talking, the Rebellion's not that big. And also whenever Leia and Han were seemingly fighting, it always seemed like they were more so communicating rather than actually fighting with each other. And he then comments saying that Leia and Han are very different. So it's quite interesting how they kind of fell into each other in a sense. So Leia says, well, it's a bit more complicated than that, but she decides to tell Kez a story. So the story is on Echo Base, which is the base on Hoth and Empire Strikes Back, Han absolutely hated the cold. One day the heaters went and so the Tauntauns had to get put on the Millennium Falcon because basically everyone had to get into their ships because it was the only place that was warm enough that they wouldn't freeze to death. And the reactor that was responsible for powering the base is malfunctioning. Now, the people who are trying to fix it say that it's going to melt the base down in 10 minutes because it was so cold that the dissipator was cracked and broke, and so it's just stopping the reactor from working. The reactor is made from a YT-2600 reactor, which is part of a ship, and is a slightly newer model than the Millennium Falcon, which is a YT-1300F light freighter. So Falcon is 1300, and then the reactor came from a ship that was a YT-2600. Han says that they have a spare dissipator on the Falcon, and so they could use that to fix the reactor. So Han and Chewie head down, and then they start a fire in the reactor room just to prevent it from getting too cold, because the coldness is the thing that's going to cause the meltdown, so they try and do it to give themselves a bit more time. Obviously, having a fire in an enclosed space means there's a lot of smoke. Chewie warns Han of that, but Han just kind of you know waves his hand into like, whatever, that won't happen. And then the smoke starts to cause them both to cough quite a lot. So Han then comes to Leia, who is currently on the Millennium Falcon, along with Nine Nunb, who is a Celestian, who is at the Battle of Endor in Episode 6 as well. He pilots the Falcon with Lando. And Han tells Leia to get off the base, leave of the Falcon, just get out of range because they're not sure if they're going to be able to fix this. And if they can't, it's going to blow. So then after a little bit of time, a little bit of waiting, obviously it worked and Hoth was saved. Now, Leia has a little bit to say about Han here, and I think it's just nice for me to read it out to you guys, especially if you're collecting trade paperbacks and potentially won't actually be able to get this issue. Uh, so I'm just going to read what Leia says to Kez about Han, because I think it's quite touching and we're nearing the end here. So Kez says to Leia, well, he had no idea about that all happening. I mean, he remembers the evacuation, but he didn't know that the reactor almost melted down or that Han and Chewie got involved. And he's like, well, why didn't Han tell anyone? And so this is Leia's big speech. He's a smuggler. Smugglers are tough. Only help themselves and never show weakness. It's bad for business. So there's the question, right? 
Why would I come to care for someone like Han Solo, so different from me, so infuriating and half useless and utterly reckless? It's because he hates the cold. He spent his entire time at Echo Base complaining about it. Everyone else saw it, everyone else knew it, but he never left. Over and over, he fought and risked his life and sacrificed and personally saved the entire Alliance more than once. He stayed because even if he couldn't admit it, even to himself, he believes in this cause. Han Solo's a smuggler because he likes it, but he's a rebel because he's Han Solo. And Han Solo complains and jokes and is generally half useless, but he doesn't leave. That's inspiring. He matters to the rebellion and to me. And now he's out there somewhere in the cold. And after Leia's little speech, Shara comes to the rebels and Kez goes and answers. It's confirmed that she is hiding in that Star Destroyer, the Tarkin's will. She managed to evade capture and a Star Destroyer is like the size of a large city. So it is quite easy to hide if you find the right place. She's got this little place. She's managed to slice and get some Imperial information and lots of intel saying that, you know, I might as well be useful while I'm trapped here. She tells Kez that she loves him. They have a little back and forth. And then the final panels of this comic is Shara Bay talking to Leia and giving her information about this Imperial intel. So that is where this comic and the episode ends. Now, if you want to hear the rest of that and how it directly connects to War of the Bounty Hunters, which is the big crossover event that's going on at the moment, or I say at the moment, I think it has just ended, and I'll be tackling the final issue of that shortly. I'll talk to you guys about that in a moment. But check out episode 60 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, because in episode 60, that is the War of the Bounty Hunters prelude episode, and that's why I talk about all of the issues of comics that then lead into the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover event, so there's a 13th issue of this main run of Star Wars, and that serves as like a prelude chapter to all the bounty hunters while kind of wrapping up the Operation Starlight storyline, kind of. It's more of like postponing it until after the War of the Bounty Hunters, but still, if you want to hear about that, check out episode 60 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and then it's almost every fourth episode from there will then be the rest of the War of the Bounty Hunters stuff. So guys, with that in mind, what have we got coming up? I mean, we're not far from the end of 2021 as of recording this. We've only got a few more weeks to go. And over Christmas, I generally don't record. So um, let me give you guys a breakdown of what you can expect for the rest of the year from Star Wars Comics in Canon and uh, what you can expect from the new year. So next week for episode 79 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, I'm going to be tackling the first volume of the 2020 run of Darth Vader comics by Greg Pak. So that is going to be the Darth Vader comics that take place after Empire Strikes Back, before Return of the Jedi, basically at the same time as the Star Wars comics I've just tackled. And there are two full volumes of that before we get into the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover, which obviously I mentioned prior, I started in episode 60. The week after that, episode 80 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, I'm going to be tackling the second volume of the Bounty Hunters comics, which center around Bela Valance, and there's the whole storyline about the Unbroken Clan and the Mourner's Whale crime syndicates and things, which are intertangled with the War of the Bounty Hunters big crossover event, so I'm going to be doing that. Then for episode 81, I've decided I'm going to do the second volume of the 2020 Darth Vader comics, and then for episode 82, which should come out December 18th, I believe, so it's a week before Christmas. That is going to be the War of the Bounty Hunters fifth part, which is going to be the finale. So because of the way I've done this with the Darth Vader comics, this obviously being the end of the 2020 run of Star Wars comics, the second volume of the Bounty Hunters comics and the second volume of the Darth Vader comics, once we complete the War of the Bounty Hunters fifth full chapter, which will include, you know, the miniseries, the companion comic, which I think is IG-88, and then all of the final issues of Dr. Aphra, Darth Vader, Bounty Hunters, and Star Wars. 
then it means that the final full episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon will be a nice big wrap-up. And it will mean that listening to all of these episodes will mean that you are fully, completely up to date with every single Canon Star Wars story, aside from stuff under the IDW publishing banner, because obviously most of these comics are Marvel, and there are still Canon ones in IDW publishing, and then also the High Republic and Poe Dameron. They're the only ones I will not have done. So then for Christmas Day and the... New Year's Day, I'll probably end up releasing some sort of special episode. Uh, many of you will know that I've got a Patreon, and on there I've been doing Star Wars stuff with Megan, so I may pop on one of those just so you guys have something to listen to. I haven't fully decided yet. I might have a book review out by then, but I don't think I will. I, the book review is probably not going to be till January 2022, and that's going to be Race to Crash Point Tower. So that means in January 2022, I will be doing once a month the Poe Dameron comics by Charles Saul. I think there are five or maybe six trade paperbacks of that. So I'll be doing that for several months. Um, I will also be doing the High Republic comics. So there's the High Republic comics, which are published by Marvel, done by Kevin Scott. And there's also the High Republic Adventures comics, which are by IDW Publishing, and they are by Daniel Jose Older. Now, they do link in with the High Republic books, but I've done the book reviews for all of those ones, you know, this year in 2021. Uh, so make sure you check those out as well if you want a vague story or just pick up the books themselves. because They're a lot of fun. So, yeah, that'll be January 2022. It'll be the Poe Dameron will be one week of the month, uh, High Republic another week of the month, probably the High Republic Adventures for another week of the month. And then there's a bunch of miniseries coming out. So there's Monster of Temple Peak, which is like an origin story of Ty Yorick, who is a Thalothian character who used to be a Jedi and she is in the Rising Storm book so that finishes i think this month so in january i'll have ample time to do that mini series then there's also the trail of shadows mini series as well which is set in the high republic there's also a life day comic coming out there's going to be two comics of the which are called eye of the storm which focus around markion row who is the eye of the nile once again high republic stuff so there's lots of mini series so over uh, at least the first half of 2022 i'm going to be tackling mini series once a month maybe twice depending on how you know what else comes out but generally each month there'll be one podamarin episode one high republic episode one high republic adventures episode and then one mini series episode which at the moment is primarily around the high republic so lots of high republic public comics coming out and then further down the line we'll see you know what happens because there's the crimson rain miniseries that's coming out which is going to focus on kira and crimson dawn after the events of war of the bounty hunters and then also when afra darth vader 2020 uh, star wars 2020 and the bounty hunter series once they all start interwrapping around crimson rain i don't know if it's going to be like the war of the bounty hunters crossover where each episode is going to be like one of each of these issues or if they're going to be a little bit more separate and if that's the case then i'll probably do one episode purely on the star wars stuff one episode purely on the dr afra stuff one episode purely on the vader stuff etc etc we'll kind of we'll see how that plays out in the new year regarding those and then you know there's other comics that are going to be coming out but also there's a bunch of idw publishing comics that i haven't even read there's two more volumes of the tales of vader's castle so obviously for halloween i tackled one of those there's return to vader's castle as well and then there's also ghosts of vader's castle so i'll be tackling them at some point as well in the new year and then we'll kind of see what happens because I do want to do more book reviews. So, I mean, a goal would be to do a book review a month, but I think that might be reaching a bit too much. So it might be a book review every two months because I still need to do Out of the Shadows. I still need to do Race to Crash Point Tower. And then in January, two more come out, which is Fallen Stars and 
something else that's name escapes me. And then another one is getting released in February, I believe. So there'll be another three High Republic books then. I've also been listening to some audiobooks. I recently finished the Dark Disciple book. I've also got other stuff to read as well. So what I may do is shift it slightly so that, especially after the Podamron ongoing series is done and things, it'll be kind of keeping up to date with ongoing series including the high republic stuff keeping up to date with mini series doing a book review every now and then and then i will slowly venture into some of the idw publishing stuff i know there's a few stories in there like there's a han and chewy adventure called i think smugglers run and then there's also a luke skywalker story called weapon of a jedi so they're both idw stuff and then there's other things like clone wars battle tales and once again all idw stuff is canon it's just generally aimed at a slightly younger audience so it's a little bit less interesting to me as an individual and the stories aren't quite as deep and in-depth and a lot of idw publishing stories are like anthologies so they have like an ongoing series of star wars adventures and one issue is just about one character and then the next one is about someone then the next issue is about someone completely different so yeah it's kind of interesting with idw i'll see where that goes i know that kevin scott's done like a whole bunch of other stuff like the character uh lena graf who is in the vader's castle comics she's in a few series which is like uh star wars adventures tales from wild space i think they're called so i will probably end up getting into those i presume uh, as well so next year is going to be a bit of idw a lot of high republic some more book reviews and poe dameron and we'll see what other stuff comes out i imagine there'll be a couple of mini series that get announced that aren't specifically set in the high republic either and there's i don't know if they're going to do another ongoing series like it depends how long these current series like star wars afro etc how long they're going to run for if they're then going to release a star wars comic set after episode six who knows we'll kind of see what next year brings there's normally quite a lot of comic announcements and stuff and star wars celebrations like halfway through next year as well and they normally do a bunch of stuff for that too so we will see where that goes but that is generally what you can expect from star wars comics and canon uh, over the next month and a half and as well as in 2022 Anyway, guys, if you are listening on a podcast app slash Spotify and you are listening on the feed of Comics in Motion, make sure you check out loads of the other amazing shows on this very feed. Femon Film is a thing that Rhea's recently got into that's quite exciting, so make sure you check that out. And there's also loads of other shows, Indie Comics Spotlight, Superheroes for Dummies, Classic Comics, What the Topic, loads of stuff. Uh, in addition to that as well, there's if you're listening on YouTube, check out my other videos because there is genuine chit-chat videos on there, some with video themselves and some just audio-based. But all of my videos are in playlists and stuff both the star wars ones and non-star wars ones and if you're listening to this on a podcasting app and you haven't subscribed to my youtube channel please go and do that it would mean the world to me because i'm trying to get up to 100 subscribers down there just so i can you know i know most of you don't listen on there at all but if i can get that to 100 subscribers and i can change the youtube channel link from random gobbledygook to slash genuine chit chat and in addition to that you know you can check out my other videos and stuff go through the whole back catalog and just like every single youtube video that is on my channel there's only several hundred of them so you won't be there that long um, i am joking about that element but please do go subscribe to my youtube channel in addition to that please make sure you subscribe to genuine chit chat so if you're already listening on youtube then you're already there but if you're listening on a podcast app my other podcast is called genuine chit chat uh, i have conversations with a wide variety of guests on there recently i spoke with paolo villanelli he is an italian comic book artist but he actually does the artwork for several Star Wars comics the Bounty Hunters comic which I will be tackling as I said the week after next he does the artwork for that and I had a really interesting conversation with him it was was a lot of fun so make sure you check that out too
to. I've also spoken to other people to do a Star Wars, including Claudia Gray and Dominic Pace, who's in The Mandalorian, and a few other bits and pieces as well. So lots of things to get your teeth into there. Uh, subscribe to that, leave rate and review and all that sort of other stuff. And then also check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. Uh, for as little as £1 a month, you get access to loads of additional content, hours and hours of additional content, and also you get to support this show and also genuine chit chat as well. So yeah, that's generally it, guys. Thank you so much for listening, as always, especially right up to the end. It means the absolute world to me. Please check out the other shows in Comics in Motion. Please subscribe to me on YouTube. Follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat. Rate and review and all these sorts of other things as well. And uh, just tell people about the show, because the more, the merrier. Cool. Well, thanks again, guys. appreciate you. And um, I'll talk to you next week with the Darth Vader 2020 comics, the first volume of that. And uh, as always, may the Force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.